Well, good morning, Resurrection Presbyterian Church, and anyone else who may be joining us. I'm Jared Bryant, and I am the pastor of Resurrection. And if you're new to joining us, we've been walking through a series of messages together called Cultivate. And to cultivate is to put the necessary time and energy into helping something grow. And the heart behind all of what we are talking about is a simple but strong conviction that God is active and at work during this time. So even in the midst of some very harsh conditions, new growth is happening. And we want to see this new life cultivated more and more in our midst. And so up to this point, we've been considering together uh, the fruit that we are hoping for in our lives and in our community. And we've talked about some of the necessary conditions for growth. And we've also talked about the need for hardened ground to be broken up so that this growth can happen. But this leads us to the question, where does this growth come from? Uh, Which brings us to what is my favorite book in all the Bible, the letter to the Ephesians. And one of the reasons why this is my favorite is because it gives us such a clear picture of this gift that we have been given by God. So when I was ready to ask Katie, my wife, to marry me, I came to quickly realize that I needed a ring and that rings were expensive and I did not have any money. And I remember one day my mom came to me and she knew my situation and and she wanted to help. And what she did was something that I'll never forget. Uh, She ended up offering me her own diamond passed down to me to be placed in a new setting as a gift, coming from a mother's heart to help her son. And even in the process of getting it placed in a new setting, we we got it appraised by the jeweler. And what we actually discovered was that this diamond, already very valuable to both of us, upon closer inspection, was actually a lot more valuable than we both thought. And, And so what made this gift so valuable to me was that it met a real need. It was a free gift. It was something of great value that was given out of great love, and it even came at a great cost to the one giving it. And the passage that we are looking at this morning, it's this seed from which all the good growth we hope to see as Christians is found. It it contains a message, a a message about a gift that has been given to us, that if, if this message takes root in our lives, it changes everything. And I say it's one message because in the original Greek, Uh, Verses 3 through 14, the passage that we are looking at, is actually one long sentence. It's 200 words, multiple threads of thought, all woven together in one sentence. One scholar goes as far as saying that this is the most monstrous sentence conglomeration that I've ever found in the Greek language. So here Paul breaks all the rules of Greek grammar. He gives us an awkward and absurdly long sentence, but he doesn't do it because he's just a bad writer. We, we know that he can write articulately and, and he can be logical. The reason for what we have before us is, is an effort to say this is good news. This is really good news. And there's so much that makes it good. There's so much to inspire wonder and trust and goodness 
that that I have to bring it all together and it's going to take a lot longer than we're normally used to. And so I want to read this passage. And, and even though it's broken up into a number of sentences in English, I want you to consider this as one message or one seed that God wants to take deep root in our hearts. And so Ephesians chapter one, starting in verse three, says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And you also, who were included in Christ, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. One sentence one message, one gift. And I don't know personally how many times I've read this passage. I even memorized it years ago and find myself going back to it again and again. But even even when I read it now, I still feel like I am only scratching the surface. And as we consider it this morning, there, there are three aspects of this particular gift, this message that I want to draw our attention to. And the first is the heart of the gift The second is the heart behind the gift, and the third is the heart changed by the gift. And so first, the heart of the gift. Here's what we see in this that's packed in. We were chosen before the foundation of the world. Before anything had been set in place, the Father set his love specifically, intentionally, knowingly upon us. He is the author of our story, you could say, and we are characters that he loves. We have been adopted into his family, welcomed in as sons and daughters, his beloved, a new identity, a new place. We have been forgiven of all of our sins and failings and mistakes and mess-ups. They've been canceled. They've been washed away, never to come back again to haunt any of us. We've been given the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwelling inside of us as what Paul calls a down payment of a future inheritance, the the promise that there is more to come. And then there's this future where we will appear before him holy and blameless, to finally be with God, but feel no shame, to feel no guilt, to feel no sadness, no embarrassment, no regret, but, but only joy and rest and gladness and freedom, and that forever. That's what Paul says in verse three is, in verse 13 is 
the good news of our salvation. The what we have to see is the heart of this gift at its core, at its essence, is not a set of principles that we follow in order to save ourselves, in order to be right with God. The heart of this gift is a person who has done everything necessary in order to save us, everything necessary in order to make us right with the Father, to be brought into the inner place of of this mutual love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And, And there's a phrase that's repeated 11 times in this one sentence, which makes us think it's pretty important. Because what it shows us is all these gifts that that we just recounted a second ago are found only in Jesus. So verse 3, in Christ. Verse 4, in Him. Verse 5, through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, in the Beloved. Verse 7, in Him. Verse 9, in Christ. Verse 10, in Him. Verse 11, in Him. Verse 12, in Christ. Verse 12, in Him. Verse 13, in Him. Uh, What do you think Paul might want us to get about this gift that is being given? The heart of this gift is Jesus and all that He is for us. This is what makes Christianity different, so different than pretty much every other religion, because our hope is in a person who does for us what we could not do for ourselves. Which brings us to our second point, the what is the heart behind this gift? We've already looked at the heart of this gift, but where is it coming from? What's the heart behind this gift? And we're going to talk more about this next week. But for now, I want to say that there is a tendency inside of us to think of God as, as stingy, as harsh, or even reluctant in his work to rescue us. And I know this is true for me personally. But but what we see when we look closely in this passage is just the opposite. Verse 3, he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 7, the riches of his grace. Verse 8, are lavished upon us. And verse 10, this is according to his good pleasure. It brings him delight to lavish the riches of his grace and all of these blessings upon us. In verse 4, he did this all in love, out of a deep affection and desire for our good. My mom helped me because she delighted to help me, because I am the son that she loves. And I knew it. There was, with the gift that she gave long ago, there was no guilt trip, there was no shaming, there were no plans for payback or no manipulative strings attached. It was just a simple gift given out of love. That is what we are given in Jesus. But while this gift is completely free for us, it comes at a great price for God. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. In all our human relationships, we've never experienced anything like this. Maybe shadows, but nothing that really comes close to this kind of sacrificial love that is free and lavish, which is one of the reasons why we often struggle with this good news. It almost seems to be 
too good to be true. And so in response to that, we tend to make it something more manageable. It makes me think of the prodigal son where this son, after having taken his inheritance and and really spent it all in a dead-end life, comes home. And in his coming home, he has this speech prepared and rehearsed in his head. And he says, I'm, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And so he, he wants to go back, but realize that he doesn't deserve to go back. But what we read this is while he was still a long way off, his, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son tries to give this little speech, but the father has, will have nothing to do with it. The father yells to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him and bring a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's have a feast and let's celebrate for my son was dead and he's alive, he's lost and he's found. Which leads Brendan Manning, one of my favorite authors to say, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. Every other identity is an illusion. God will have nothing of our trying to make his grace more transactional. He wants to lavish this upon us, this love upon us as a gift that's given freely where the cost is upon him. And that brings us to our final point, which is a heart changed by this gift. So we've seen the essence of this gift or the heart of the gift. We've seen the heart behind the gift, but what does a heart changed by this gift look like? What does it look like when this message uh, goes into us, when, when this seed, you could say, begins to take root in our lives? I'll say this, a heart changed by this gift realizes that our life of faith, it's not lived to gain something from God, whether that's acceptance, forgiveness, love, a place in his family, but a heart changed by this gift lives out of a place that has received these as free love from the God. I recently read a fantastic book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, and, and I have these words underlined and starred multiple times. He says this, there are two ways to live the Christian life. You can either live it for the heart of Christ or from the heart of Christ. You can either live for the smile of God or from it. For a new identity as a son or daughter or from it. For our union with Christ or from it. The battle of the Christian life is to bring your own heart into alignment with Christ's. That is, getting up each morning and replacing your natural orphan mindset with a mindset of full and free adoption into the family of God through the work of Christ, your older brother, who loved you and gave himself for you out of the overflowing fullness of his gracious heart. That is why this passage, this message of good news we have here is not a theology lecture given to us, but it is a prayer of wonder and amazement and worship. It all starts with verse three, with these words, praise be to God. And everything that flows out of that in this one long sentence is is a prayer of thanks and amazement and wonder and gladness and joy at this gift that has been given to us. 
So that what we see is that in verse 14 and 12 and even 6, our lives are simply to the praise of his glorious grace. Which, which is why when I find myself praying uh, this prayer, I find myself drawn to another prayer in Scripture that says simply, I believe, but help my unbelief. I want my own heart and our hearts together as a church community to to have a deepened sense of this good news, of the wonder and amazement of this gift that has been given to us, the heart of this gift, the heart behind the gift that we might have hearts that are changed by the gift. May God help this message, this good news to take root in our lives in ways like never before. Amen.